If you've been watching the news this past week, you've probably seen this particular image. The health insurance marketplace is open. Well, it's kind of open. It's kind of like if you go to a store and the door's open, but maybe nobody's there. <laughs> My point here is that uh, we want to have faith in our government. Uh, the challenge is that many times they don't deliver. They're not 100% dependable in many areas. Well, friends, we have a God who is 100% dependable. But the question is, how much faith do we put in Him? You think He's 100% dependable, I'm going to trust Him 100%, but we all know that's not the way we live. Some people are very mature, have walked with the Lord for many years, have exercised their faith. Maybe they're 75%. Other people are 50% in the faith that they exhibit in God. Other people are 25%. Where are you at today? I love to use the analogy of building a muscle. As you go to the gym and lift weights, you put more and more weights on the bar in order to help you strengthen that muscle. And the only way to grow in faith is to exercise that faith muscle. And that's what we're going to be looking at today as we continue in our series of the well-known prophet Elijah. Last week in God's waiting room today, faith when hope runs out. Next week, playing with fire. You can't miss next week one of the greatest Bible stories of Elijah facing off with the prophet's of Baal. But let's take a moment to do some review to talk about the historical context of Elijah's life. I found this cool map on the web, and this illustrates Elijah and Elisha's journeys. And so we're going to start out with number one, right there in the middle near the Sea of Galilee, Tishbe. That's where Elijah was from. Remember, he was a mountain man, the tough guy, not exactly the most sophisticated or refined or educated, but uh, he was a man's man, and, and he was called by the Lord to be a prophet, to speak on his behalf. And so he went down to Samaria. See number two there at the bottom, number two, Samaria. That's where Ahab and Jezebel were hanging out. They were, again, the king and queen of the northern kingdom, and they were evil. In fact, Jezebel was the power behind the throne, and she had grown up in an area where her father was king, and Baal was the central worship, part of worship, or the focus of worship. And so Elijah was called by God to go into Ahab and Jezebel and say, Listen, you're about to be judged by God. There is going to be a drought, and it won't lift until I say it's going to lift. Now, that's something else to say uh, to a king and queen. Now, after that, God said to Elijah, run, hide, because they have, watch your head. <laughs> that's exactly what he did. You see number three there, right near the Sea of Galilee, that's a brook, Cherith. And that's what we talked about last week, how Elijah went there and he lived by this brook 
for a year, year and a half, and he was fed by the ravens. They brought him bread. They brought him regurgitated meat. <laughs> he had something to eat. But we talked about God's waiting room and how difficult it is when we don't know what God is doing in our lives, but we put our trust in Him. And that was really the first part of Elijah's training. That was part one. Now we're going to move into part two. I guess you could say advanced training. Let's look at 1 Kings 17, 7 where we left off. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Well, of course there was no rain in the land because God had stopped the rain. But again, Elijah's there, and he had water, he had food, and then all of a sudden the water dries up. Who knows, maybe the ravens stopped coming. And he's wondering, okay, what's going to happen now? Here I am out in the middle of nowhere. I really have no place to go. People want to kill me. So, God? Again, it was another trust exercise. But let's see what happened. Now, as I looked through this passage, I was trying to kind of summarize it, and I came up with the old children's song, Trust and Obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Because, you see, trust and the word obey are coupled. You only can obey, in a sense, when you trust what the other person is telling you to do. You can only obey God when you trust that He is speaking truth and that He is going to take care of you. So as we study throughout this passage, we're going to see how Elijah and the widow trusted and obeyed. So first of all, you want to trust and obey when it doesn't make sense. When it doesn't make sense. So Elijah is sitting at that brook. First Kings 17.8 Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah... Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there uh, to feed you. And uh, to give you some perspective on this, let's take a look at uh, the, um, the map again. And we'll see the distance that there was between uh, the brook Cherith, where Elijah uh, was at, and Zarephath. Number four, way, way up north. In fact, it was 100 miles. Now, this is why this move did not make sense. Because here he is at the brook. He's exhausted. He's tired. And God is saying, okay, I want you to travel 100 miles. Well, he didn't have the energy for it, but God allowed him to do it 100 miles. On top of that, he was a wanted man. For a year and a half, they've been looking for Elijah. Everybody knew what he looked like, this big mountain guy. Yeah, we want him dead. So he was taking a great risk by traveling 100 miles, especially in this particular uh, territory. And then he was going to Zarephath by the sea there. And oddly enough, Zarephath was right next to Sidon. And Sidon was the home of Jezebel, which was the center of Baal worship. This is good, right? God decides to hide Elijah out right next to Jezebel's hometown, right where Baal worship is the strongest. 
Let's go back to 1 Kings 17.8. It says, Behold, I have commanded a widow to feed you. All right, the raven, I guess this is an upgrade, a raven to a widow. But again, widows had no resources back in that day, so Elijah might be thinking, okay, I'm going to go 100 miles to a widow in the middle of a drought. I'm sure she has just stockpiles of food. <laughs> so Elijah's saying, this is not making sense, God. What's going on here? Uh, that's what he could have been saying. We have no idea. But at the same time, he realized that God had more work for him to do. It's interesting the word Zarephath means crucible. Crucible. Uh, the idea of smelting. Maybe they worked with metals in that area, refining metals like gold. And it was Elijah's crucible. It was advanced training for him that he was going to go there and he was going to learn things. Most importantly, he was going to learn to trust and obey. That's what he needed to do to do the things we'll study later in this series. So Elijah obeys. And friends, we talked about this last week. When you're in the waiting room, when life does not make sense, what do you do? You focus on God's love, the fact that he is going to provide your basic needs. You focus on God's control, that he is in control, and he cares for you. And then you see what God is working doing in your life? What, he is, what is he trying to produce in your heart, in your soul? How is he trying to change you? How is he trying to root out sin? That's what you do when it doesn't make sense. Let's go to the next point. Trust and obey when you don't have the resources. When you don't have the resources. Let's look at 1 Kings 17, 10, 11. So he goes to Zarephath. So he arose and went to Zarephath. Now, here is a decision point. He said, okay, God has asked me to do this. And I trust God. My faith muscle has really grown strong in the midst of this wilderness, sitting by the brook for a year and a half. I believe God knows what he's doing. If he's going to bring a raven twice a day, I think he can take care of me. So he arose and went to Zarephath. He trusted and obeyed. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. Now, first he says, Bring me some water. And she says, Okay, I can do that. I can bring some water. And that's kind of like when you're at a restaurant. You say, Oh, could you add this to the menu? He said, Oh, could you add a morsel of bread that stops her in her tracks? And what does she say? Verse 12. And she said, As the Lord your God lives. Now again, remember, God had commanded a widow in Zarephath to feed him. But we're not sure what happened, but somehow God communicated to this woman. She knew Elijah was coming, so she's aware of that. As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Well, that's kind of depressing. Again, it was a famine. There's a little bit of cornmeal left. Just a little bit. And what they would do is they'd take the cornmeal and all they'd make kind of like a little pancake. And 
So you just had enough cornmeal and enough oil to make this little pancake for her son and herself, and then they were going to starve to death. And she had seen other people starve to death in her village, probably older people. And so, yeah, this is just the way it was. There was a famine that was judging the people. And she had had a tough life. When you think about the fact that she was widowed, she had a young son, which means that uh, her husband had died early. And widows, as you might know, they didn't have any rights. Women didn't have any rights back in that day, unfortunately. I mean, if you didn't have a man, you didn't have anything. You didn't have a job. You didn't have a way of earning income. Hopefully you had some extended family, which she did not have. Being a widow is a very difficult life, and that's why Jesus Christ said, take care of the widows and the orphans. So here we have this woman who's out of resources. Have you been there? Are you there? Maybe you've gone through divorce. That really drains the resources, doesn't it? Maybe you've lost a job. Immediate drain of resources. Underemployed. You're working, but you're not having the resources you had before. Medical issues. Bills that come out of nowhere. You're under-resourced. What do you do? This woman had resigned herself to the fact that, well, there's nothing more I can do. I've done everything I can. First uh, Kings 17, 13. Elijah said to her, what are you talking about? I walk 100 miles because God said you had something to eat. You're telling me you got nothing. What is the deal? <laughs> right. He didn't say that. He says, and Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Friends, when you run out of resources, you fear. I was talking with an individual this past week, and they had lost their job mature Christian man that I have a lot of respect for. But you can always hear a little bit of fear. And I'd be in the same situation. I have fear in different areas of my life. And that's why God continues to say throughout Scripture, do not fear. Do not fear. I am 100% dependable. You've got to trust in me. You've got to obey me. So what does Elijah say? He says, go and do as you have said. But first, make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, you make something for yourself and your son. It's killing me, isn't it? Well, you realize what he just said? He said, listen, okay, you got a little bit of cornmeal and a little bit of oil. I want you to make something for me first. And then you can take care of yourself. <laughs> What's he talking about here? Well, he goes on, verse 14, 4. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of oil shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. You know, as I've been studying through this story, my mind keeps going back to Sunday school at Temple Baptist Church in Rockford, Illinois. These are such rich stories. And now to go even deeper into them as we study them here together. The jar of oil should not be spent. So you can make a little pancake, and it can be gone, but when you go back to make some more, there'll be more there. In fact, I'm guaranteeing you food until the rain starts again. 
That's what he was promising. You can keep pouring out, making pancakes, have a big pancake breakfast. <laughs> There's going to be enough for you and your son. What a beautiful promise. Now, but here's a question. That's what he said. Is she going to trust and obey? She could say, hey, no, 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 no. You're not taking my son and my last pancake. Now, I know we're going to die. I know you say what you're saying, but I don't trust in you. I don't know you. And so I'm going to do it our own way. We're going to go home and have a little celebration, and that will be it. That's what she could have said, and that's what many of us say. That's what many of us say. God promises us resources. He promises us strength and wisdom. And we say, no, God, I don't believe you. I don't believe you're going to come through. And we just continue on our way because we think we know better. We all come to decision points. Are we going to trust and obey? And, of course, she obeyed, 1 Kings 17, 15, and 16. And she went and did as Elijah said. She expressed trust in God. She expressed trust in Elijah, and she obeyed. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. So again, every time she went to the cupboard to get the oil and the cornmeal, there was always more. Wouldn't that have been amazing? Can you imagine just, you know, taking some meat out of the freezer, you know, cooking it up and going there the next day and there's more meat? <laughs> you got a, uh, a jug of milk in there. There's a little bit left, right? You know, you pour it out and it's gone. Open the fridge again. There's a little bit of milk. <laughs> I mean, God doesn't give us a lot per se, right? He just gives a little bit of manna, a little bit of raven's food, <laughs> a little bit to keep us going because He wants us to be dependent upon Him. We don't want to be dependent upon Him, but that's what He wants more than than anything. Incredible miracle. In fact, there's another story about a widow. Jesus Christ and His disciples were sitting outside the temple watching people drop their offerings in the offering box. And, of course, those people who were very wealthy would come by and come at the busiest times of the day, and they'd make quite a production out of it in terms of taking their offering, making sure everybody knew what an enormous amount of money they were getting and dropping their thing. Then a widow comes by, and she puts in a mite, which is hardly anything. And this is what Jesus Christ says in Mark 12, 43 through 44. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Now the temptation for you and I is not to give out of our abundance, or excuse me, not to give out of our abundance and not out of the limited resources that we have. Many times when people uh, come to God, they look at their resources, and we all, none of us think, oh, i got more than enough resources. Anybody think that? 
I'm all set. You know, I'm set for retirement. I'm all good. No, we're always worrying about resources, right? So we never think we have enough. Therefore, I've got to take care of myself first, and then I'll give to God what's left over. Well, God clearly teaches, as we've talked about many times here, that you need to give to God first. You pay God first because He is the one who gave you everything. He is your God. And it's a form of worship, saying, God, you're number one in my life, so I'm going to give to you first, and I'm going to honor you in this way. And even when you're limited on resources, you continue to give to God. So many people think, oh, well, I can't tithe right now because uh, you know, I don't have any money here. I have very limited money. Or I can't give to God right now. Well, you've got to continue to give to God because you've got to continue to honor Him and obey Him and trust Him. And you say, well, if I give like I should to the Lord as God has guided me to give, I'm not going to have enough money. Well, yeah. You're going to pour out that little bit of cornmeal and that little bit of oil and there's nothing left. But that's when God starts to do the miracles. That's when He really kicks in. I was thinking about a story that happened uh, to a couple that attends here at Springbrook uh, a couple years ago. And uh, they told me the story of how uh, he was working in construction, of course, it not go well in construction. Not going well. Hopefully, getting better. But uh, he was laid off certain times, and he was work, working certain weeks. He couldn't get unemployment. But they felt the need to tie their income, the little income that they had. So they did it. They poured out the rest of the flour, the cornmeal, and the rest of the vine, the wine that is not the wine, but the uh, oil. And God continued to provide for them. One time, she got home from church and found a $100 bill in her purse. That's God's provision. Somebody else came by the house and uh, said, Hey, just wanted to stop by. And when that person left, there was money on the table. And finally, he was offered a job. You see, friends, when we honor God first, He will take care of us. And again... We want to depend upon ourselves. So uh, if you really want to grow in faith, start giving as God wants you to give. Whatever He guides you to give, give Him, give your resources to Him first. And trust in Him. Trust in Him that He is going to provide for your needs. It's interesting in Luke 4, 24 through 26, Jesus Christ talks about the widow of Zarephath. He's talking uh, to the uh, people at Nazareth. He stands up on the Sabbath, and he proclaims that he is God by saying that he fulfills a couple verses in Psalm, or excuse me, Isaiah 61. And uh, verse 24, it says, And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. They weren't warming up to the message that this kid who grew up in the town was actually the Messiah. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them, none of the Israelites. Didn't send Elijah to those widows, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. Why did God send Elijah to this widow? Because this widow 
was a woman of faith. This widow believed in this, this God that she was, didn't even know. But she believed. And God is looking for people of faith. And that's where we all need to grow in different areas of our lives. And you say, well, how do I do that? Well, let's look at Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not as a result of work, so that no one can boast. Friends, the way we start the Christian life is the way we live it every day. We live it by faith. We give every issue over to God. And we say, God, please help me. Please empower me. You've given me grace. And I want grace every day from you. I want you to provide for all of my needs that come my way. And this comes through an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the goal. Every day is to walk with Jesus, to depend upon Jesus, to have Jesus live through you, to be one with Him. That's the way we need to live our lives, uh, Jesus calling. Anybody reading that devotional these days? It's a great devotional. We have it available. If, if you're struggling with walking with Christ, that's a great way because it's written from Christ's perspective. If you want a daily basis, and very encouraging in how God has used Sarah Young. Uh, but you're saying, how? how? How does this happen? Well, Luke 17, 5 through 6 is interesting. The uh, disciples were talking to Jesus about how many times should I forgive a person, and Jesus says 70 times 7, and they say, what? Are you kidding? The apostles said to the Lord after he taught them this, increase our faith. Lord, there's no way we can forgive people that much. <laughs> you're going to have to give us more faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. But Jesus Christ is saying, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much from you. I'll deliver. You just need to take a small step of faith, and I'm going to overwhelm you in meeting your needs. A grain of mustard seed. Very, very small seed. And talking to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the seed. See, friends, every day as you encounter problems and challenges in your life, you might view them as obstacles, but you need to view them as an opportunity, a decision point to say, okay, do I trust in God? And God, I don't trust you, so please increase my faith. Help me to trust you. And so I trust in God and I take that step of obedience and God comes through and that muscle gets stronger. And then day by day, week by week, year by year, we continue to take those steps of faith, those steps of obedience, and that muscle becomes stronger and stronger. That's the Christian journey. Walking with Jesus Christ, seeing God deliver. And for those of you who are mature, you have a lot of faith in God. Not because you're special, but just because God has graced you to obey and show faith, and you know God shows up. Well, let's look at the next area of trust and obedience. When you're desperate, 1 Kings 17, 17, 
After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. The son becomes ill. And his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. Her son died. How did she respond? Verse 18. And so she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. To lose a child. The most difficult grief one can go through. We can understand her frustration and her anger. And it's interesting when you look at this, she's saying, why have you come to me, Elijah? Because you've come to me God's taken notice of me, and he sees my sin, right? To bring my sin to remembrance. So God is judging me, taking away my son. And that's the way a lot of people feel, right? Well, we all feel guilty, right, because we're sinners, but that's the beauty of the gospel is that God has forgiven us, and we need to embrace that on a daily basis, God's forgiveness. Now, it's very interesting how Elijah responds. And he said to her, what? Why are you getting mad at me? You would have been dead a year ago if it wasn't for me. He's probably there for a year and a half or so. We're not sure. But he was there for a long time, just like he was at the brook for a long time. He didn't say that. Did he try to comfort her? Did he quote Scripture to her? No. He didn't say anything except for, give me your son. And he took him from her arms. Give me your son. And that's what Jesus is saying to you and I. Give me your issue. Give me your child. Give me your marriage. Give me your resource problem. Give me your illness. Just hand it over to and we hold on because we think, I don't know why we think this, but we think somehow, some way, we can handle it better than God. But I tell you, friends, it's a step of faith and obedience power through the Spirit when we're actually able to take our burden and give it to God. Now, that doesn't mean we, if we're out of a job that we stop looking for a job. No, we continue to do those things. But it's not on us anymore to fix the problem. It's on God to fix the problem because we're trusting in Him to fix the problem, not ourselves. We get in such messes because we're trying to fix the problem. And God's a consultant. You know, we'll go to God for advice and ask to help us with our project, our burden. But it's a whole other thing to give your burden over. And now you say, God, what can I do in helping you carry my trust and obey. Well, now, uh, what Elijah does, he carried him up to the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his bed. And that day, they had roofs, and they typically had a room on top of the roof for guests or for uh, like a family room, whatever. So he was staying up there during the time uh, with the widow. And that's where he spent his time with God. I can remember... I can imagine that in that room, he spent so many hours with God, let's say over a year, talking to him, doing business with God, 
processing what he was going through. Why did he have him in this particular situation? In 1 Kings 17, 20, we read, And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourned by killing her son? This is a great insight right here. Okay, here we have Elijah, a man of faith. And he goes up into his upper room, his time with God, and what does he do? He says, God, why? Why? Hasn't this widow been through enough and now you've taken her son? He cries out to God and says, why? It's okay to say why to God. It's healthy to say why to God. It's, it's okay. Job asked it, right? Why? Why is this happening? I encourage you to journal. Oh, please, write down your pain. Write down your thoughts. Tell God. He knows what you're thinking. Oh, well, you can't talk to God like that. No, He wants you to talk like that. He wants you to pour out your heart, all your emotions, negative emotions, sinful thoughts, whatever. Let God know. And that's exactly what Elijah does here. The word why is not in here, so I put the question mark in red. Because it is a question, right? Why is this happening? Why? Then verse 21, Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. Now, some of us think, oh yeah, that's what prophets do. Elijah took out his prophet Manuel, chapter 4, how to deal with dead people. Okay, you lay across him like that. No. <laughs> there had never been a resurrection that's recorded in Scripture up to this point. No! I really believe that Elijah was just acting on faith, and he says, God, bring this child back. And for some reason, he laid out his body on this child three times. I think he probably would have kept on doing it all afternoon until something happened. We see in verse 22, And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah. That's why I think that Elijah was just acting in faith. God, do something. And God did something. And the life of the child came into him again. And he revived. The child came back to life. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. Can you imagine that scene? Oh. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. This was Elijah's graduation ceremony. <laughs> this was his final exam. He had been on this training, this boot camp, for, for several years now. And this was it. This was the crowning the crown achievement. This was a thesis. This was uh, the oral exam. This was like the big test. And he passed because his faith had been growing and growing and growing and growing. And he, he's so humble. See, your son lives. He doesn't look what I did. I'm a pretty good prophet, aren't I? No, he says, he gives all the credit to God, all the glory to him. In fact, I believe Elijah is mentioned in the Hall of Faith even though his name isn't. Hebrews 11 speaks of great people of faith. Uh, verse 35, women received back from their dead by resurrection. That refers to Elijah. 
The question is, how much do we believe? Verse 17, Ah, Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. But I and you continue to tell God, well, this is... I'll take this one. Just look out of your league, you know. Verse 24, how the women respond when she saw her resurrected son. And the women said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Now, she had called him a man of God in the beginning, but now she knew he was a man of God. And friends, when you trust and obey, I can say, Oh, yeah, God has all the strength. He is omnipotent. But do I really know that? I know it intellectually, but do I really believe it? Every time I exercise that faith muscle, every time I trust and obey, I know a little bit more about His wisdom. I know a little bit more about His strength. I know a little more about His faithfulness. I know a little more about His comfort. And that's the whole Christian journey is knowing a little more about Jesus and how faithful He is. And it's hard. Life is hard, but it's so beautiful to be a Christ follower because there's a purpose in the pain. The sense that we can know more and more and our, our, fuss, our faith muscle increases and becomes more and more powerful through the power of the Holy Spirit. Only when we exercise it. Only when we put it to use. Friends, we are weak people. We look at our October memory verse. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, that Christ's power may rest on me. We are so weak. I am, at least. I don't know about you. And I... I and, and, and I... I so often have missed the point. The point is not for me to become stronger, to develop my skills. The point is to trust Jesus and let Him work through my weaknesses. God, You use me. I'm giving up. I'm giving my burden over to You. I'm trusting in You. Do what You want through me. I'm stepping off the throne here. No longer God. Okay? You'd sit down here. <laughs> I'm trusting you. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would burn these truths deep into our lives, especially my life, Lord. It's a journey. You know, Lord, I have tremendous trust in you, but it needs to grow so much more. Thank you for all the things you've brought me through. And when I have trusted and obeyed, Lord, you've shown yourself. I pray you can teach me, continue to teach me how to do that. And I pray for my friends here, wherever they might be in their spiritual journey, that they would trust and obey. In Christ's name, amen.